Alright, so here's only trust in 352. you be seated. We're going to do the birthdays today. They've convinced us that we need to start back doing the birthdays. Now, as far as our record, those are the birthdays for the month of November. You can read them up there. Bob Horton, Melissa Lawrence, Tom Prince, Trey Sasser, Wendell Mitchell, Joshua Waltz, and Teresa Hargrove all have birthdays in the month of November. So we're going to sing happy birthday to you, all right? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, everybody. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. All right, I don't know about anniversaries. Do you have any anniversaries up there? Jonathan and Lauren Redford, they've been married nine years. That happens to be Peggy Smith's daughter. Been married nine years. They haven't had any more children, have they, Peggy? Okay. They've got those two daughters, those two beautiful little daughters. Now, I went by this morning, uh, the hospital. Lynn was up there with Shirley last night. I don't know if you got that this morning, but Shirley Murphy was put in the hospital yesterday, Williamson Medical, and Lynn went up there and stayed with her till about 1 o'clock this morning, and then I went by this morning before coming to worship, and visited with her and had prayer. She said she had a good night. So we want to thank the Lord for that. I think probably uh, she is in room 619 
619, if you care to go by. But I would say that probably this afternoon, I could be wrong, they might move her back to NHC. But regardless of whether you go by or whether you call, you can call at that number. Uh, plea in prayer uh, for Shirley, okay? Now, we have a young man that worships with us here, and this is the very first time I haven't seen him here in about a year. He's usually sit back there in the back corner, and his name is Randolph Hall. We call him Randy. And he's with the Williamson County Community Band, which is an orchestra. I mean, it's like 20 or 30 pieces. And what does he play, Lynn? He plays the French horn. And he wanted me to let you know that on November the 13th, at the County Enrichment Center on Everbright Avenue, they're going to do a concert, and it's free. So if you think about that and you want to take your children to have uh, some kind of cultural enrich enrichment, uh, you could certainly check on that uh, and take them out there. Don't forget that uh, out there in the foyer, there are directions to the Duck River. We hope you'll avail yourself of it. We only do it once a year, and we'd love to have you come. And I was thinking while Dale was talking, while Lynn was talking, that probably the people who win should become the judges for the next year. That would be a good way to do it. Today at 3 o'clock, Riverview Road, which is in Chapel Hill, takes you about a half hour to get there. And we'd love to have you come uh, and to be with us there. And bring, if you have cha chairs, bring them. We've got a lot of chairs out there from the church, but uh, bring them if you want to. And uh, if you have a guitar or something that you want to pick and sing out there, I'll put you up on the porch and you can just sing to your heart's content or you can just play. All right? And, and, and even uh, we if you have don't a surprise eat chili, just there. come out for the fellowship. <laughs> There'll come be a surprise today that you're not expecting. So don't be so sure of yourself <laughs> on the chili. <laughs> We'd love to have all of you come. All you have to do is pick up those directions. You can come before 3 o'clock, but we're going to officially be there ready for th about 3 to 6 and give you three hours to uh, fellowship together. We're going to, uh, Bill, excuse me, uh, what we're going to do, because we're all working on it out there, uh, they can come at 3. Uh, we probably won't eat till 4, 4.30, so eat more today for lunch if you want okay, to. Okay, we'll probably eat about 4 o'clock. She said, 4 to 4.30, and uh, we'd just love for you to come. Like I said, you don't have to eat. You can bring your own food if you want to, but uh, come out and let's fellowship together once a year. All right, well, we had a little request here for a couple of weeks, so I, I, I'm going to have to do it. Uh, it's called, I Can't Even Walk Without You Holding My Hand. I thought number one would surely be me. I thought I could be what I wanted to be. I thought I could build on life's sinking sand, but I can't hear. Without you holding my hand I thought I could do A lot on my own I thought I could make it All alone Thought of myself As a mighty Because I can't eat. 
Sunday of each month, we have the Lord's Supper, and we usually have a fellowship dinner in the fellowship hall, but because we've chosen this day for the chili cook-off, we're going to have the fellowship out there at the Duck River. Usually on the first Sunday of the month, I get away from whatever we're studying and teach you something else, and I'm going to do that today. If you'll turn to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, Luke chapter 12. The Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Chapter 12. Verse 51, an unusual verse. Do you suppose, this is Jesus talking now, do you suppose that I have come to give peace on earth? I tell you, no, but rather division. From this time forth, there shall be five in one house divided against three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say praise the Lord, and you may be seated. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning, this morning on Jesus, the cause of, div, of division. Many of you have probably never seen that verse, 
before, but our God is a dividing God. In the very first few verses of the Bible, in the first book, Genesis, you read in verse 4 that the Lord divided the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. Then he divided the waters from the waters. And then he divided the waters from the land. And when Israel was in Egypt, he told Pharaoh, Exodus chapter 8, I will divide between my people and thy people. Then we read in Deuteronomy chapter 32, it was the Lord who divided the nations, and he, it was the Lord who divided to the nations their inheritance. We read in Acts chapter 17 that God has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and he has determined the times before appointed and the bounds, the divisions of their habitation. It was the Lord who set boundaries for the nations and the cultures separating one people from another. So our Savior asked here, do you suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about at his birth? Didn't the angels sing glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill to men? Luke chapter 2 verse 14 well, I've got two or three answers for that. Number one, listen to these translations. Listen to this. The English trans version translation. Some of you might check this out in your own Bible. Uh, it is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 14. In the English version translation, it says, this is where they translate it, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. The International Standard Version translates it this way. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people who enjoy his favor. The English Standard Version translates it. Glory to God in the highest and on peace among those with whom he is pleased. The New Revised Standard Version translates it. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And the New American Standard Bible translates it, Glory to God in the highest on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So the translations overwhelmingly favor an emphasis upon the sovereignty of God when this verse is correctly translated. The second thing I would say to you is, while it is true that we may see the goodwill of God in sending His Son, in sending the promised Messiah, we know that real peace on earth exists only among those who are the subjects of God's goodwill. And thirdly, the peace of God through the Messiah, through Jesus the Christ, only comes to men who have goodwill toward the Lord. That is, to men and women who are reconciled to the will of God through faith in the Messiah. Here's the bottom line. Jesus did not come the first time to bring peace to the earth. And he says so right here in Luke chapter 12. Do you suppose, let me give you a couple of little Greek terms here. Do you suppose that I have come to give peace on earth? I tell you, no. That's a very strong word is the word uchi or uchai, and it means by no means. It means not at all. But rather, he says, division. And that word is a word that means disunion and dissension, diamorismos. Well, my friends, are you surprised at that? Are you even taken aback? by that? Well, listen, this world is in spiritual chaos. And if he came to bring peace, surely something is wrong. And this world is in spiritual darkness. This world is lost. Furthermore, this world does not want any light. This world is in love with darkness. Now, I'm going to tell you where I'm going. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 3. 
And I'm going to quote the verse to you, Gospel of John, chapter 3. Everybody knows John 3, 16, just about. But there's more to John 3 than John 3, 16. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. He says, this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither will he or she come to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth comes to the light, that his deeds might be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. In other words, that God had something to do with it. This world does not love the God who created it. This world wants nothing to do with the God of light and the God of truth. And that is why everywhere Jesus went, he caused division. If you're in John and you want to turn to John chapter 7, verses 37 through 43. This was a great feast. It was a seven-day feast. And uh, this feast uh, started on a Sabbath day. And the last day of the feast, the eighth day, was a Sabbath day. That's John 7, 37 through 43. And uh, this feast is mentioned in the Leviticus chapter 23. It was a time of great joy and great celebration. But it says in verse 37, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he cried, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow living water. Now we're told in verse 39, that he was speaking of the Spirit that all who believed on him would receive. And the, this hadn't happened yet because Jesus was not glorified. The Spirit of God did not come to indwell permanently the people of God until after the death, burial, and resurrection, the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what was the result of that? Well, in verse 40, it says, many of the people, say, they said, this is the prophet. Verse 41, others says, this is the Christ. But other people said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Didn't the scripture say that Christ will come of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? And so verse 43, so there was a what? A division among the people because of him. John chapter 9, he cured a man born blind. And there was a division among them. John chapter 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And in John chapter 10, he said, I'm the only door to heaven. Verse 7. Verse 7. It's popular today to say, well, we're all children of God. and Everybody has their own idea and everybody has their own way. And they all have their own way of expressing it. No, the God that they want to pray to and in the name they want to be with Jesus said, I am the door and there's not any other way to heaven. That's verse 7. Verse 11, he says, I'm in John chapter 10. In uh, verse 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd. And I've come to give my life to save my sheep. And in verse 15, he said, God is my father. And in verse 18, he said, no man can take my life. I lay it down willingly. What was the result? Verse 19, division. Division. Verse 20, somebody said, he has a devil. He's mad. Why do you listen to him? Verse 21, some said, can the devil open the eyes of the blind? And you know, this same division followed with the apostles. You can read Acts chapter 14, where it says the multitude of the city was divided when they went about preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's try to hurriedly, if you'll go back to the gospel of Luke chapter 12, let me go over this with you, just kind of generally survey it. I hope I can do it and do it quickly and yet make you understand, help you to understand what is going on here. In Luke's gospel chapter 12, the Lord is speaking in parables. And if you notice, for example... In the context that we're interested in, in verse 36, 
He's talking about his second coming. Verse 36, Luke 12. Ye yourselves should be like men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him immediately. He's talking about his second coming. Verses 37, 38, and 39, he said his disciples should always be prepared. Verse 37 through 39, they should always be prepared for his coming. Because he says in verse 40, I'm going to come in an hour in which you think not. That is when you least expect it. That's when I'm coming. And in verse 41, Peter has a question. Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, do you speak this to all of us or everybody here? You know, everybody is a disciple, but everybody is not an apostle. Apostle was handpicked by Jesus. Everybody who's a believer is a disciple, a learner. That's what the word disciple means. You come under the discipline of Christ. You become his disciple. You learn about him. So Peter has this question. You talking to everybody or just to us? In response to that, the Lord answered him with another parable, verses 42 through 48. Now you'll notice that in the previous section, that's verse 36 through 40, the Lord addresses his servants. His servants. And the word that he uses there is the Greek word doulos. And it means one who gives himself up or herself up to the will of another. That's the definition of servant. You give yourself up to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you give yourself up to the will of another. So he's addressing verses 36 through 40, his servants. But then in verse 41, he addresses his stewards. His stewards. Who then is that faithful and wise steward? Well, this is a word that means superintendent, manager of the estate or the household. I believe it refers to the teachers in the church, to those who are responsible for feeding and leading Christ's household. Verse 42. Who is that? Faithful and wise steward whom his Lord should make ruler over his household. Ruler in the sense of teaching and leading. Leading and feeding as we say. To give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he comes shall find him doing. Being faithful in teaching. See teaching has fallen on hard times today because we're too interested in entertaining. So people talk about the gospel, they talk about Jesus Christ, they quote the scripture, but they don't get into the scripture and open it up. We're always trying to come up with something new when we haven't even covered the old. So he addresses the stewards. Then he says in verses 43 and 44 that these people must be faithful until the Lord comes for him. Then he has a very harsh word in verses 45 and 46 for unfaithful stewards who become lax and loose in their duties. Verse 45, if that servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. Ah, we've heard Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. I never did really believe it to start with. You remember two weeks ago I quoted you some t statistics that said that only 20% of pastors in the United States still take the seriously, still take the gospel seriously. Twenty percent in the United States. Not done by a religious surveyor, but done by those people who do those surveys. If that servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, verse 45, and he shall begin to beat the men servants and the maid servants to eat and drink and be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him and at an hour when he is not aware and he will cut him into pieces and he will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Now you will notice that though this person is called a servant, he is put with the unbelievers because he's not really a believer. That's why he's put with the unbelievers. The Lord knows. He knows our heart. And so he puts him with 
the unbeliever. He's going to be numbered with those who are like him. Then the Lord says something a lot of people don't understand, verses 47 and 48. He talks to us about presumptuous sins and sins of ignorance. The servant which did not know his Lord's will and prepared not himself, did not do according to his will, he'll be beat with many stripes. Now who would you think that would refer to? Who came up without the law? Who came up without the covenants? Who came up without the prophets? Who came up? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. But the Lord, the, the servant that knew his Lord's will, verse 47, and did not prepare himself, he'll be beaten with many stripes. That would be Israel. That'd be Jews. That'd be those who had the covenants, who had the prophets, who had all those things and did not prepare himself. They'll be beaten with many stripes. Now I'll leave it up to you to determine whether or not you think these people were saved. But I'm not going to venture into that, but I'll just tell you this. If the Lord beats you at all, you're in bad shape. The Bible does say that the Jews crucified the the Lord Jesus Christ through ignorance. Remember what he said when he was on the cross? Father, forgive them for they what? They know not what they do. So these are what, what we call sins of ignorance and sins of presumption. Presumption is when I know what I ought to do and I don't do it, or I know what I ought not to do and I do it. Those are presumptuous sins, and you can read about those in Luke 5.15, I'm sorry, Leviticus 5.15, and Numbers chapter 15, verses 29 and 30 in the law. Now, to whom much is given, the second part of verse 48, much is required. Now, my friends, I learned this a while back. If we pray for blessings... But if when we receive those blessings, we don't use them as we should for the Lord, we're only praying chastisement upon ourselves. And in this sense, it is better to learn to be content with what we have. Because if the Lord blesses us, if he gives us more, he expects us to do more with what he's given us. If we pray for the blessings, then when the blessings come, we forget all about what we're supposed to do with them. That's verse 48. Then he says this, verse 49 and 50. He says that the preaching and the teaching of what we call the gospel, the preaching and the teaching of Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he's the promised one, that he's the only way to God, that he's the only door to heaven. He says this kind of teaching and preaching and faith will start a fire on the earth. It'll be a fire of persecution. And it'll be a fire because the gospel itself is a fire that burns up the dross of men. And that exposes the worthlessness of a life lived without Christ. Verses 49 and 50. I have come to sing fire on the earth. And the King James says, and what will I if it be already kindled? He's, what that means is, I'm anxious for it to be started. I'm ready for it to begin, to be started. He, the Lord's sufferings, verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how I am straightened till it be accomplished. His sufferings are compared to a baptism of fire, an immersion in fire, the fire of the violated law of God. And he says that he's pressed down and he's under this impending baptism of fire until it is accomplished, until it is brought about. Now, these sufferings of the Messiah, the prophet Isaiah called them the travail of his soul. Let me just read a little bit to you from Isaiah 53. I won't read all of verses 10 and 11, but this is what it says. It says, it pleased the Lord, that be the Lord the Father, to bruise him. He put him to grief. It was God the Father who put his son to grief. 
When you shall make his soul an offering for sin. Jesus came into the world and his soul was made an offering for sin. It says he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He, the Father, will see the travail of his soul, the travail, the trial, the punishment of the Son, and he'll be satisfied. He'll say, that's enough. The law, the violated law, is paid for. His wrath is appeased. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. Now look at verse 51 in Luke chapter 12. Verse 51. Do you suppose that I have come to give peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. You see, the apostles probably thought, like multitudes do today, perhaps as even we have thought, that being a follower of Christ only brings blessings and prosperity in this world and that everybody's going to live on easy street. That's what certainly is preached a lot today, isn't it? Not saying that the Lord doesn't bless you. I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't prosper you. He has certainly blessed me and he has certainly prospered me. But I am saying that this idea that you won't have any, you don't want, you know, one thing we don't like to do, we just don't like to displease people. We don't like for people to be upset with us. We don't like for people to think that we're doing something wrong. But I'm here to tell you now, we've been fed a lie. We are to love our enemies. We are to do good to those that despitefully use and persecute us. But that does not mean that we are to compromise the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to stand for the truth. We are to support the truth. We are to pray for the truth. And we are to be witnesses of the truth. We are to be servants of Christ. He didn't just die for us to take us home to heaven. We are to serve him while we are in this world. And the apostles apparently thought, like many people, that nothing like this would ever be the lot of the Lord's disciples. And that's why he says this, verse 51, do you suppose that I came to bring peace on the earth? No. I came to bring division. The effect of the preaching of the gospel will be division. Now, if everyone would embrace Christ, and his gospel, no doubt there would be peace. There'd be peace among the nations. But when the gospel came, the opposite was true. The religions of the world were shaken. The religions of the world are all founded by one whom the scriptures call the strong man. Who's the strong man? Well, that'd be the devil. Who do you think is the founder of Buddhism? Who do you think is the founder of Hinduism? Who do you think is the founder of all these world religions? It is the strong man. It is to enable men to be religious but lost. But when the light of the gospel comes, then darkness of those religions is driven out. And the strong man begins to make war against the light and against those who bring the light. Tell you what, you got the rest of the day, don't you? <laughs> Turn to Matthew chapter 12. And put a, put a, uh, your ribbon or something here in Luke 12 because we come back to it. But Matthew chapter 12, so you know exactly where I'm coming from. Turn to... Matthew chapter 12. Jesus had been casting out some demons. And so these folks said, hey, he's casting out demons by the power of the prince of demons, Beelzebub. Verse 24, Matthew 12. This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts. Verse 25, and he said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Now listen to me. 
in the United States, let's picture the United States as a kingdom. Right now, we're being divided against each other. Races and cultures and religions, and we're being divided. We can't stand. I don't know how long we'll last, but it won't last long. He said, a house divided against itself. Same way in your own family. If mom and dad are divided against each other, your your home, your family is doomed. A church divided against itself can't stand. And so he says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. It's brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself cannot stand. So verse 26, if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How shall his kingdom stand? He said, if I by Beelzebub, verse 27, the prince of demons, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? But, he says in verse 28, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Now he's going to say something about the strong man. Verse 29. How can one enter a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he'll spoil his goods? Now that strong man is the devil. The strong man is the founder of all religion in the world. We're not talking about the Christian religion. We're talking about the revelation of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about when Peter, when Jesus said to Peter and the other disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're one of the Old Testament prophets reincarnated. Some say you're John the Baptist and you've come back. His head was cut off. You've come back. He said, who do you say that I am? They said, well, we think you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And here's what he said. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father in heaven. This, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, whether you know it or not, God showed you that. We have heard so much malarkey about the work of the Holy Spirit, we're confused. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is like the wind. You don't see him. You don't say, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. No, you don't know when the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is invisible. You don't know anything about when the Holy Spirit comes, when people's Attitude changes when they come from unbelief to faith, when they're brought to repentance of their sins. You can be sure the Holy Spirit has been available. But we've become so confused about this. I need to bring a series of studies on this. So the Lord Jesus says that the light of the gospel binds the strong man and drives his darkness out. That's why it's so very important that we know the Word of God, that we read the Word of God, that we memorize the Word of God, that we read it and think about it. Because it is the Word of God that drives darkness out. And everyone who is lost in this world is bound by the strong man. And everyone who is bound by the strong man loves darkness and will have nothing to do with the true God or his Christ. And those who are bound by the strong man will not come to Christ that they might be saved. Listen again now to John 3, 19 through 21. This is the condemnation. Light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone that hates the light will not come to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth, he comes to the light, that his deeds will be manifested, that God wrought them. Redemptive light has come into the world by two means, by the written word of God and by the living word of God. Did not our Lord Jesus Christ say, I am the light of the world? But men love darkness. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Why are their deeds evil? Because they are evil. Why? Because their souls are full of darkness and they love it. 
Those who do evil things hate the light. Why? Because the light exposes them and their souls and their evil deeds. You've never had a thief come up to your door and knock on the door and say, Hi, I'm here to rob you. And I thought I'd come during the daytime so I wouldn't have trouble finding your jewels. The thief comes at nighttime. He comes when you're not suspecting. He comes in and steals. And didn't the Lord Jesus said the devil comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy? Isn't that what he said? And those who do evil things hate the light. You're not going to walk in if somebody's breaking in your, your cabinet there and say, hey, let me hold the light for you so you can see better how to get in there. No, the light exposes them. They don't want any light. But the person into whose soul the light comes, that person comes to the light. That person is blessed. That person is not ashamed of the light. His or her testimony is that the Lord has done a work in him. You can't explain people like the Apostle Paul <coughs> who went around killing Christians, arresting them, putting them in prison, having them stoned to death, and the next day he's preaching to Jesus he condemned. You can't explain that by him making the decision for Jesus. You can't explain that except God did something for it. And every one of you who are believers, God has done something for you. He may not have blinded you on the road to Damascus, but he's taken away your blindness and given you eyes to see and given you a heart that understands and given you a faith that believes. This testimony of the Lord did it, is found many places all through the scripture. But here's something I'll read to you, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. I'm calling these passages out so you can write them down and listen to them. It says, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. It's not hid because we're trying to keep it back from them. We're preaching the gospel to every creature by all means that we can. And we're trying to tell people the truth of what the Bible says. It's hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world, little g, the strong man, has blinded the minds of them which do not believe, lest the light, see they're in darkness, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. Jesus is God's flashlight. Jesus is God's spotlight. Jesus is God's light. And when his light comes, it began to expose us to what we are. Hey, I didn't like it when the light came on me at first. I was miserable about it. I didn't think anybody knew what a sinner I was but me. <laughs> I found out the Lord knew it. You know, I get around people a lot of times. I know some of you won't understand this. Some of you may. But I get around people. I never tell them I'm in the ministry. Unless they squeeze it out of me. Because when I do, immediately when I tell them that, they change their demeanor. And I said to one man, why do you change when I'm in your presence when you are in the presence of God at all times? Who sees and hears everything that you do. Behind resistance to the light of the gospel is the God of this world, Lucifer, whom we call Satan, the devil, the dragon, the serpent, and by other names. The word that Jesus uses back in Luke chapter 12 again the word that Jesus uses for peace, do you suppose that I have come to bring peace? Verse 51, Luke chapter 12, has three characteristics. Number one, it refers to the tranquil, tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. I have peace that passes understanding. I have an internal peace because I'm assured of my salvation 
with the Lord through Christ. Number two, the soul that fears nothing from God. He's not mad with me. There's no war. I've been reconciled to him. I'm able to say, not my will, but thine be done. And number three, the soul that is content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. You know, when I go up to see Shirley in the hospital, as sick as she ill, down to below 90 pounds. She still trusts the Lord and gives him the glory. You remember me telling you years ago about an old black woman that was in the hospital? And uh, D.J. Ward went by to see this elderly black woman. And he said, how you doing, Sister Sally? Oh, she says, I's doing fine. She said, when these nurses and doctors come in, I shoots a little Jesus at them. Oh, well, how you doing and yourself? She said, you know, the Lord sure do must love me to do me like this. The Lord sure do must love me to do me like this. You know, the Lord chastens those whom he loves. Is that not what the scripture says? And she said, I'm an object of his love. She said, no matter what the state of this body is, I know he loves me or he wouldn't pay any attention to me. He just let me run wild and go where I want to go. Let me conclude. I'll be here. I'll keep you here past three. If we look at this Luke 12, 51 passage, let me draw some conclusions. One, peace at any price is not the purpose of the coming of Christ. Number two, loyalty to Christ must count more than family ties. That's what he says right here in Luke chapter 12. He says, from here on out, they're going to be divided even in a local household, verse 52 and 53. Number three, now is the time to decide. Will you serve Christ in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? Or will you sell your soul for peace with family, friends, and the world? Number four, the coming of Christ brought division into the world. It set the world on fire, and he will bring division to your world when you bow to him as Lord and Messiah and trust him. He'll bring division. Number five, let's look at verses 54, 55, and 56. He said to the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west, right away you say there's coming a shower. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there'll be heat, and it comes to pass. You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you don't discern the time? Yea, and why even of your own selves don't you judge what is right? Most people, he's saying here, do not discern the seriousness of this hour. Do all of you realize that in just a little while, you're going to be out into eternity? In just a little while. My life is a flash. And I'm not a spring chicken. <laughs> My life is a flash. And it may come to the place where we don't have anybody to hear anything the Lord gives me, but I'm still going to preach. I taught a doctrine class to two boys for three years. They were interested, and they drove down from Kentucky. I don't believe there are any accidents with the Lord. So in verses 54 through 56, he's telling us that most people don't discern the seriousness of this hour. They'll be doing their own thing until the door of mercy is shut. 
And he says, you know, we can tell a change in the weather from the direction of the wind, but we can't tell a change in the wind of spiritual things in this world. We don't see a change in the spiritual things, but we can, we can predict the weather. As it was in the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, verses 57 through 59. Now watch this. Why even of your own selves do you not do what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, as you are in the way, give diligence that you may be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you have paid the very last mite. Now listen. Now is the time, he's saying this, now is the time to settle all issues with the judge. Who's the judge? God Almighty. The vast majority fail to recognize that they're all like a person who's going to be hauled off to court by an accuser. Now, who, who would it be that accuses us of sin? The law. The holy law of God. And a wise person, Jesus says, will try to reach a settlement before he gets to court and is sent off to an eternal prison. You got time now to settle. Before they deliver you to the judge, because once they deliver you to the judge, too late. And that's what he's teaching us. Now is the day of salvation. Soon it will be too late. And you know something? When the Lord created the world, I told you it started out in Genesis 4. He divided the light from the darkness. He divided the waters above and the waters below. He divided <clears throat> the water and the land. One of the last things the Lord will do will be a division. The day of the Lord, when Christ shall come, will be marked by division. He'll divide the wheat from the tares. The wise from the foolish, the sheep from the goats, the children of light from the children of darkness, the children of the wicked one from the children of God. He'll divide his servants from the sluggards, those who are too lazy to serve him. He'll, he'll divide the clean from the unclean. He'll divide the bad from the good. He'll divide the believer from the unbeliever. On his right hand, he will say, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. On the left hand, he will say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. That's all from Matthew chapter 25. My friends, today is the day of salvation. May the Lord add his blessings on his word. Let's stand together. I'd like to ask you to take stock of yourself and don't assume that because you've been in church a long time that you are a Christian. I remember years ago, man, it's been 40, been over 50 years ago. There was a fellow named Bruce something. He came down there to Albany, Bruce Cummings. He came and preached in the church that I was attending over 50 years ago, probably 55, 56, 57 years ago. Bruce Cummings, a pastor from Ohio. And I remember this story. He said, you know, he said, we would go around and knock on doors and invite people to come worship. And he said, I knocked on the door and I talked to this person. And uh, this one person said to Bruce Cummings, he said, I was a young man then. And he said, they said, sir, I've been in church before you were born. He said, you know, I told him, my dad worked in a Ford factory for 50 years. He never did become a Ford. I've never forgotten that. 
He never did become a Ford. He worked in a Ford factory for 50, 60 years. He never became a Ford. Listen, we ought not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. We should worship. And the best place to be is under the Word of God, even if you're lost. You need to be under the Word of God, listening to the Word of God, asking for an understanding of the Word of God. Because we're living in the beginning of that time where the prophet said, There shall come in the last days, saith the Lord, a famine, not of bread and water, but of hearing the word of God. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will save you. Look to him, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Isaiah chapter 45. Let's sing under the blood. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe by the Under the blood 